Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project and to our first official episode of Podiatry 2.0, where Andy Bryant and I discuss all things related to the practice of podiatry as we approach the launch of our newest community at TFC, the Natural Podiatry Community. On this first episode, Andy and I compare old podiatry to new podiatry. He shares some thoughts about podiatry school. We cover some base assumptions that currently guide pr- the practice of podiatry and how they need to be updated. And we also talk about the resistance we see in the field of podiatry to taking a more natural approach to treatment. At the end, we talk a bit about the upcoming community, but this first episode was really about airing out some of the concepts that we'll talk about in future episodes. Really enjoyed the conversation with Andy. And if you're a podiatrist and want to be updated about the upcoming community project, you can email futureofpodiatry at gmail.com and we'll add you to our monthly email update list. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Shop your one-stop online store for balance beams, natural footwear, and foot health accessories. If you visit tfc-shop.com, you can check out the growing selection of products we offer that all help you live a more natural life. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases. We use their products to transport equipment and electronics to events, and they make some awesome hard cases here in Canada. Check out nanook.com for more info, and you'll be able to check out what they offer. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome to the TFC Audio Project and to our first episode of Podiatry 2.0, where Andy Bryant and I are going to be discussing the future of the profession of podiatry. Uh, Andy's a foot nerd, a podiatrist from Melbourne, Australia. And, you know, after our first Nerd Talk episode, we wanted to do a series of podcast episodes discussing natural podiatry as we sort of build up to our new project at the end of this year to form a community of natural podiatrists looking to change the profession. So Andy, thanks for taking the time this morning, um, thanks, slash, slash evening for you, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. I, uh, I'm always energized by our conversation. Even the 10 minutes that we chatted before we even hit record, uh, it's always, you know, I've almost sensed your energy just kind of getting higher and higher and higher in terms of how much you're leaning into the... Uh, you know, the space of changing how you work. And uh, it's been really, really cool to see. And um, I'm excited to unleash you when we create this community because I think you have a, you have a, you have a lot of energy and a lot of uh, expertise. Like you're a really smart dude. And I think you underestimate how much you know uh, when it comes to foot health and foot care and what you've seen over the course of your career. So yeah, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm really stoked for this. It's, I think it comes with confidence as you see, as I see what's um, what I'm in, implementing with clients working like yep. and, and that's um, it's just that constant feedback loop yep. you know like try something it works and so then you build confidence doing it yeah yeah and it almost reinforces itself to the point where you're like okay it's like each time you get a good result is an extra check mark and then you look and you're like wow I got a lot of check marks now I I, I can yeah. preach this stuff yeah yeah. So, okay, so maybe in a good place to start, you know, you've already introduced yourself. If anyone wants to get an introduction to who Andy is and what he does, uh, you can check out our first Nerd Talk episode. But I think we should just dig right into it today because we have a lot to cover in this first episode. And the the goal for this first intro episode of Podiatry 2.0 is to compare um, conventional podiatry 
or as we'll probably refer to it, old podiatry, and uh, natural podiatry, which we'll, we'll use the nomenclature new podiatry. So old is conventional, new is natural. And so that'll be, um, I think we should start by just identifying like what do, how do we define those two paradigms and then we can sort of dig into a couple different things. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how would you explain, you know, in a really concise way, how would you explain old podiatry and what we're envisioning for new podiatry? Uh, so I would say old podiatry, and, and we're going to, like you said, concise, um, yeah. is based around um, orthotic prescription and using orthotics uh, to change load. Like they, um, old podiatry understands it's not about alignment now. It is about load, managing load. Um, and and the footwear isn't really a... Um, up, up for up for changing in a lot of cases. They'll change from one style of modern footwear to another style of modern footwear, but they won't see a big change in that. And so, yeah, old podiatry being um, that model of care, and and this is not always the 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 four the um, the leaders in in old podiatry. They are often a bit more enlightened and more well rounded, but. If you go into the clinics, uh, probably around the world, I know here in Australia, um, the the main style of treatment is orthotic prescription. Right. And and like we spoke about before, there is some other stuff coming in um, to, you know, tick the box of strength and conditioning and there's pain management as well. But um, in terms of musculoskeletal podiatry, um, orthotics are the uh, mainstay of their treatment. Yeah. Right. And, and and it also brings me to the point that a lot of podiatry isn't even about orthotics. It's about um, cutting someone's toenails that can't do it themselves or getting digging out a corn or an ingrown toenail or clearing up some callus, mostly because people can't do it themselves and because of the footwear that they're wearing. That is, that is the bread and butter of old school podiatry and conventional podiatry. That's what most podiatrists go to work to do to clean up people's feet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's probably even a good thing to do a little caveat at the start here to say that we're not knocking on any podiatrists because no. we know that no. everyone is doing their best. Uh, yeah. We know that people are, are doing what they were taught in school to be effective at what the role of podiatry uh, was yeah. taught to them. And yeah. I think that's important to mention because it can almost seem like we're targeting podiatrists and saying like, oh, this is all shit. It's, it's not. But yeah. there comes a point, there comes a phase shift where once you have a certain amount of information to say that there is a better way of doing things, um, it's time to have a true conversation about like, should we be switching? And, you know, I think even something that we talked about in terms of footwear and how some podiatrists are putting some strengthening, strengthening work into their practice is there's a very significant phase shift between using a bit of strengthening work in the tr in a traditional, let's call it old podiatry model versus taking a radical shift in your approach and essentially getting rid of the things that are causing the problem, which is shoes and, you know, stiff, rigid supportive orthotics end up having adverse effects on the foot over time, despite being sometimes effective at controlling symptoms. So I think that was, yeah, I mean, you encompassed everything I had written, old podiatry or conventional podiatry is they react to problems that the foot caused by shoes. They add complexity to the system by adding external support through rigid supportive orthotics in, you know, with the thought that it's going to help correct the problem. The problem is, is there's unforeseen adaptations that happen to the foot and to the body because of that. Um, and then 
so let's talk about new podiatry. How would you define new or, you know, we'll use the terms interchangeably new and natural because I think that they end up being the same in our, in our context. So how would you define new podiatry? Just on that first, um, I do feel like I diss podiatrists a lot, but I am a podiatrist. Right. And, and I just think if the information is out there, the, the, I'm not dissing people, but if they're not willing to listen and change, then that, um, that's where it comes from that I yep. look at old podiatry as, as um, something that could change, you know? Yep. Um, so I'm not dissing it. It's all we know. Like you said, it's all we know. It's all we're taught. And when you're taught something, that's what you practice. So, but it's also our responsibility to keep on learning and to be open yes. to new ideas. So um, new podiatry or natural podiatry, I, I think is looking at the foot, the way it's evolved to move which we actually all do watching someone walk up and down a corridor without their shoes on. Um, and then trying to get back to that place where it can func- the foot can function in the way it's evolved to do, you right. know, and when we use modern footwear, it takes us away from that. When we use modern footwear, it gives us ingrown toenails, bunions, corns. It gives us all the things that podiatrists treat and um, natural podiatry being let's get, in, in a broad sense, getting back to how the foot should function. And that could be a barefoot, but there are also shoes that um, mimic being a barefoot that just provide protection. And so um, that's the way I, that's what I see as the big um, model or the tool in natural podiatry that differs to all other podiatry is that the shoe is negotiable and that we should look at putting people in shoes um, that mimic them being barefoot because that is our natural state and that's how the foot is, is evolved to function. And when it functions properly, um, there are far less problems. And then we also look at how the whole body functions in natural podiatry. Yes. In we have to we have to know that the hips are huge a huge role play a huge role in natural foot function. And therefore, it would be silly to only look at the foot as the problem. And we should look upstairs to see what's going on there. Yeah, that's a great definition. And that's basically exactly what I had written. I had new podiatry is, uh, has a radical focus on restoring natural function. And I think, you know, even that can be unpacked. But like you said, it's bring the foot back to its natural state where it has the mobility and the strength and the capacity and the resilience, which we are really designed to have, but we've been removed uh, away from with through mainly footwear. Um, but restoring natural function, um, health by subtraction where we're actually removing things instead of adding things um prevention focused uh footwear education is a massive pillar of natural podiatry in my opinion and i think uh the point that you made about the hips is like look at the foot as a body part within a system and treat the system not the foot and i think that that's a you know with this upcoming community we'll create a manifesto and we'll also create practice values where it's like outlining sort of what we feel would be an inclusive definition of natural podiatry so that people know what the community is about. And that'll be a dynamic sort of uh, document where we can constantly update it. And I think there's always strength in numbers. And when you're trained, literally trying to change uh, an industry and evolve it and move it forward, um, you can only do stuff like that together. And I think even just based on the emails I've received from those two posts that I did about podiatry, there is a lot of people that want to be, you know, there's a lot of others that we just got to find. It's like the footnote program. Once you find the others, you're like, Oh shit, a lot of other people think this way. And then yeah. together you can really come together and collectively, you know, push forward for change. So old podiatry, reactive, new podiatry, education based restoring natural function, look at the foot within the system. I think that's a great, um, that's a great 
sort of set of definitions to get us started along. Yeah. Um, and I did, you know, like we, <laughs> you sent me a couple of uh, ideas for, I, I've started to experiment with those posts, you know, old podiatry and then having a tagline and then new podiatry. Um, you know, I've done a couple of those and they've been, they've had some interesting responses and it's very interesting because people who really don't like them, you look into it and you're like, Oh, you're a podiatrist. That's interesting. <laughs> and then, but some of the people who really like them are also podiatrists. So it's the whole polarization between schools of thought is very interesting because you get people that look at those kinds of posts as a threat to their current uh, business model and something that they need to defend. But then you also get people that look at it as a massive opportunity and are like, this makes a lot of sense. How do I learn more? How do I connect with you guys? And so it's, it's almost like this uh, fixed versus growth mindset or fear versus, um, you know, like abundance mindset. And it's, it's very interesting to see. So, yeah. yeah. And I love some of the ones that you recommend that you suggested there. So we'll have to make I just, some more. I just thought of another one. Old podiatry, <laughs> the foot needs support. New podiatry, the foot supports itself. <laughs> oh, that's great. See, I love, because some of the ones that you sent were a little bit long and wordy. And I was like, yeah. there's something, there's an essence there, but we got to trim it. And that, that one was yeah, great. Yeah. I, I, when I sent them, I thought you can trim these. They're, they're not like a given. I just like getting my thoughts out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's the best way to do it is just air out the concepts so that, yeah. and, and you kind of like, um, I always tell people, I'll write something on a whiteboard. I have shitloads of whiteboard around my house. I have a whiteboard problem. But I'll write something down, and then every time I walk by it, I'll, I just tell people I, I kind of like battle with it, where I'll like, you know, I'll critique it or I'll move something around. And then eventually, it's kind of like you start with a, a ball of clay and you carve it down to something beautiful over time. And then you're like, that's it. So, yeah. yeah. I can yeah. tell your brain is thinking in that mode now. So it's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maybe the next place to go is. Uh, I'd love to hear about school, um, yeah. about what you learned in podiatry school. What was the, you know, I'd like to do a comparison of uh, traditional podiatry school and then new forms of education. For example, uh, the foot nerd program, or, you know, I think in this community that we're going to end up creating um, for natural podiatry, I think we should include an education component where if someone wants to come into the community, we have a ton of resources available for them to learn about what this is. And, you know, everything in the foot nerd program, sapien code or curriculum related to feet, we should just put into like a, um, its own section so that yeah. people can feel supported, but also have all the resources available to show them, uh, you know, the data and the science that's available right now. So, so tell, if you could share a little bit about schooling, you know, what you learned, how long it took to learn it, um, you know, sort of the details of what podiatry was when you went to school. Yeah. So for me, it was 20 years ago and it was a three-year undergraduate degree, um, health sciences degree with a, um, a podiatry focus. Okay. And I did an extra year of research, an honours year. Um, so it was a four-year degree for me. It, it was, a, it, it was, I'd say, a great um, degree for, your, for the whole body, learning about the whole body and physiology, pathophysiology, anatomy. You know, it's a health sciences degree. We're in with the physios, the physical therapists, the nurses, um, occupational therapists, all of us in together, and then we go off and do our own specialty. Um, and I th it's not dissimilar now uh, here in Melbourne anyway, where they have a two-year undergraduate degree, then a two-year master's in podiatry. Um, so quite similar. And from what I hear, it hasn't changed that much. There was a, a big focus on foot function, obviously, and analysing foot function. But then there were different models of why, we, why when we changed foot function with an orthotic or with footwear or with whatever, um, 
they still hadn't kind of worked out why changing foot function worked. And so there were like four different or five different models and you, you just have, and to, even then I remember having to justify my treatment in the clinic by um, relating it back to one of these models of foot function. This is how um, unknown how the foot works really is, you know, like it's um, like they, we know about it, but it, no one can decide upon exactly how it, how it sh- should work right. and, and why it works. And we were still using methods to make orthotics. And I think they still teach them now that were made like 50 or 60 years ago, the theories behind it. They still have those names um, from 50 or 60 years ago. Um, I'm not sure how it is now, but there was no, there was never any um, thought process into um, the foot functioning naturally. We would have gone through foot evolution, I think, and we would have gone through, um, how a foot should move, but not how a, a, a shoe can affect it in a negative way, in such a negative way. Right. Or it wasn't what I thought of. Like when I just think of the example of pushing the big toe laterally into the other toes, um, how that just stops the first um, MPJ working properly. And we knew how important, we're told over and over how important that big toe joint is, but not ever was the correlation made that a shoe pushing it aside was going to be an issue. Like we all knew pointy t- toes weren't good on a shoe, but then you look at all the running shoes or athletic shoes and they've got a pointy toe as well. So right. that, that correlation was never really made obvious to me. And, and I think maybe there's some lip service to a barefoot um, mode of treatment. I don't think there was ever that, but, um, and I, I don't, and there's still not, and there wasn't a big strength and conditioning um part of it 20 years ago there's a little bit now I've, mm-hmm. i understand but um there was nothing about sitting or the hips being the such a big controller of the foot it was more about what we did to the foot would control the hips and the knees you know so right. um that the foot was really the focus rather than the whole body like i don't um want to give my, my education a hard time because i think it really set me up well to practice mm-hmm. the way i did for six, 16 or 17 years but it didn't set me up well to practice the way I do now. Right. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's a gap that we're going to have to fill, right? Knowing that, yeah. um, you know, I know in physio school, the educate, I mean, I only graduated uh, in 2015, but it hasn't changed almost at all. I remember one of the foot nerds, Tim, uh, said he went back to his school to do a guest lecture and he went uh, a little bit early and sat in on the class before. And some of the slides on the class before were the same slides he saw when he went to school 17 years earlier. And it's yeah. like, how does that happen in, a, in the world of health? If you're not updating things at least every couple of years in a drastic way, you're falling behind. You're essentially becoming ineffective at preparing people um, for, for helping people with their health. And I think, yeah, it seems like there's always a reluctance to radical change, right? Especially in big institutions, they have curriculums, they have tenured professors. There's a lot of comfort and there's not a lot of pressure uh, for change, right? There's no one barking at them to say, you need to update what you're doing in a big way, right? Every year that you haven't updated is an even bigger sense of urgency to have a radical update. And everyone seems to like to dip their toes in the water and say, yeah, there might be something to this barefoot thing or there might be something to mobilizing the foot, but it's like, no, you gotta jump in the water. Because dipping your toes in is actually just going to confuse people even more. And if you're not getting rid of the reason we're developing foot problems, aka stiff, rigid, non-human shaped footwear, you actually never make long-term progress. At least you never allow the patient to take back responsibility um, for the health. And I think, you know, if we compare the way I think about it is 
universities are going are, are are going to hit a crisis point. I think fairly soon, where people are realizing it's really expensive to go to university. Um, if you can't even go and interact with other students and and do all the fun stuff like party because of yeah. COVID, what's yeah. the point of paying shitloads of money to learn from a computer if you don't get any of the good stuff about university? And I think when you look at what they're teaching as being outdated, it creates this massive opening and opportunity for um, better options to be created, uh, where instead of institutional independent learning where you're competing with other students, it's collaborative community-based uh, growth-minded learning, where it's like you're not just learning knowledge, you're learning how to learn, and you're collaborating with people to continue to learn as time goes on, because our world is only getting quicker in how in in the frequency of turnovers, right? Every 10 years, you seem to have to reinvent yourself because we live in a totally different world. Yeah. So the value of knowing how to unlearn and relearn things is way more important than any fixed knowledge that you might learn in school. And I think things like the Footner program or any kind of education platform we create within this new community uh, for natural podiatrists, I think can be a serious I mean, initially it'll be almost like an adjunct where people go through podiatry school and then they might do that afterwards. But I think as time goes on and, and we end up developing and evolving at a quick speed, it can be a competitor, I think, to, I mean, the only thing you're missing is the piece of paper that costs a lot of money to say, I have a degree in this. But when people just value effectiveness and when you're not actually surgically cutting people because you, you do what you need to to prevent that from ever happening, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. And so um, I think also that there was, you, you would either go into uh, public health, which is, um, you know, looking after wounds in people with diabetes and, you know, it, it's very much um, that hands-on type of stuff or private practice. And the business, the university was about the, um, getting you ready for business, you know, like we had the orthotic labs teaching us how to take a cast and prescribe an orthotic. Right. That was part of our learning, and and we also had a guy that would come at, that came to teach us um, mobilizations and manipulations, um, within a business model format similar to the old chiropractor where you'd pay up you know for a six week program of mobilizations, but never were we taught how to strength how to teach someone to strengthen their foot themselves or how to or how to mobilize their foot themselves you know like it, it was always into the into that model of in a private practice this is what you do to make money they never say that but that's how how looking back well that's how i was taught to work you know you make sure you get back for this review and then a year later you're reviewing the orthotic and that's when you put them in a new orthotic you know it wasn't like get them in orthotic for a reason and then get them out it was you you know so um yeah just reflecting while you're talking it was it was without um well, I guess there's private practitioners teaching us. And so that's what they knew. Again, it's not right. anyone's fault. It's all you know. It's all they know. Exactly. And so how can they teach any differently if they don't know any differently themselves? Yeah. Right. And I, I always, you know, I've always felt with health that you can only bring someone that you're working with to a place that you've already gone. And so if you, if, if people that are teaching these school courses haven't actually seen the results that you, for example, are seeing reinforced every day that you treat someone, you see results what reason would they have to believe that that's even a viable alternative, right? Yeah. And so I think that's almost where the changing of the guard has to happen, where the people who are reluctant or, or just have no interest in like breaking down the way they're doing things to rebuild a better way, those are the people that are teaching new students of podiatry. And that's almost like where the bottleneck um, is, where you're still churning out people that are doing old podiatry 
because yeah. the people teaching the courses, while well-intentioned, are teaching the same shit they've taught for decades and yeah, don't have happen. an open mind to actually want to do anything different. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think it's, like I said, it's not, it would be nice if schools just updated their shit every year and we didn't have to have this conversation. Um, yeah. But the reality is that every big problem is an even bigger opportunity if you have a willingness to lean into it and uh, almost the courage to go against the grain. Um, and like I said, the first seminar that we did in Melbourne, I remember you were, I think you were still kind of figuring out like, how does this all work? Yeah. Um, and like now when I hear you talking, when I see your posts, you're like, screw it. I'm going full force because this is the way to change things is to, <laughs> is to be the barefoot weirdo is to be the person who is saying this is not acceptable anymore. These are the yeah. problems we're seeing, but no one's talking about. And, um, yeah, so I think I have this idea that, um, if I was to go to back to uni as a teacher, I would, um, just have, a, I would just run a class where we gave everyone a pair of minimal shoes and said, you must wear this shoe for the next semester, you know? And exactly. Like, That's a beautiful could, class. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to do a certain amount of barefoot hiking. And by the end of the semester, the test is to be able to barefoot hike and maybe slack line. And, yes. and you, know, you have to measure how much you sit every day and begin a, a floor sitting practice, you know, like to teach, because that's when you'll see change. That's when people will go, wow, wow, how, do, how good do I feel? I want my yeah. patients to feel this way. Oh, exactly. because so many podiatry students are there because they went and saw a podiatrist and were given orthotics and it worked when they were 13 and 14 years old, you know, yep. like it helped them with something and they become podiatrists and that's all they know. So before they even be going to podiatry school, they are already on that path and something needs, something big needs to change to the students to get them coming out with a different idea. And that, yep. that wouldn't even be that hard to do to get a subject in there that just for a year or for six months, they had to wear a minimal shoe and just see what happened, you know, like, let's just see what happens, guys. Like transition yourself. You can, it's such a perfect learning tool. Yes. And even just having discussions once a week in class and be like, what are you feeling? How are you? That is the most, it almost, it makes too much sense, put it that yeah. way, <laughs> because, you know, that will counter, that will create a lot of backhand questions for all the other shit that they teach. Yeah. And they don't want that. And, you know, you wish that you had radically open-minded people that simply want to be effective and are willing to try things and see how the students uh, give feedback about it. Because the, you know, people that go to university are smart. Everyone is smart in their own way, but people are intelligent. And if, if you can provide to them a rationale and more importantly, let them feel it. And I think this, you know, it's why we have projects with the Footner program. It's why that suggestion you just made would be so effective because when they feel it, they can then have the personal lived experience to be able to share it with their patients and say, listen, I felt pain too when I started to do this. That's okay. That's your body changing. Instead of being like, oh, there's pain. Okay, let's go back to the shoes. You know, yeah. so the personal experience and having to troubleshoot it yourself with yourself, uh, with your own body, I think is the most, the most potent form of education, to be quite frank. Yeah. It's not what you learn in a book or from a slide. It's what you feel when you actually engage with and practice yourself that you can then preach to other people or that you can share with others. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So let's talk next about some, I want to talk about base assumptions because I think if we're looking at uh, creating a case that natural podiatry is a um, more effective replacement for old podiatry, we need to start with some of the base assumptions that old podiatry is built on and that natural podiatry or new podiatry is built on. And I think the first one is the said principle. 
specific adaptation to impose demand. Because if yeah. you can agree with people on that, then you can essentially find a point of agreement to generate a discussion about something like orthotics or something like footwear. And, yeah. you know, was that, did they talk about the said principle? Like it, it was never talked about in physio school. And I wish I would have had at least a couple lectures just breaking down the said principle and then having case examples of, well, if you have a specific adaptation to an imposed demand, if you sit all day here, if the imposed demand is sitting in a chair for most of your day, the specific adaptation is royally messing up all of your movement patterns. Like I wish we would have gone through that. And, you know, and I think for, orthotics is like if the imposed demand is stiffness or rigidity and artificial support yeah. and if you understand the physiology of the body with the set principle that's going to result in weakness and stiffness of the foot and so yeah. like you know was that a, was that ever a point of conversation so i mentioned it before that we had these different models of why an orthotic would work or how how to classify an injury to and how it fitted in with the foot type that you were presented with. Yep. And the one that always rang true for me was the tissue, what we called the tissue stress model, which I don't know if that crosses over to other, um, other uh, health modalities, but in podiatry, it's called the tissue stress model that if you apply a stress on a tissue, it, it um, either breaks down or like if it's done too quickly or it, or it um, can, it dam gets damaged, repairs and gets stronger. Right. Which is the said principle in a nutshell. Yeah. And so um, that always rang true for me, but also I think that's where um, the learning has, 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 and the teaching has gone in that direction as well now. So they do use that principle. Um, but if you, if we put an orthotic into that, into that principle, the idea is that we're changing the load on the foot, on the, on the injured structure in the foot, but by using the orthotic, and that is true, but there are just other ways to do that, that right. are, um, less invasive, less long-term, and uh, far more um, functional, you know, far more... Yeah, and less complicated healthy. too. Yes, less complicated, less expensive, not making as much money for the podiatrist, um, you know. So I think the, the tissue stress model is, is that said principle and is a base assumption, and that is what nearly all podiatrists are still using um, when they put an orthotic in, they'll still, you'll still see podiatrists advertising that that's an orthotic is aligning the foot. And, and, but the, all the research shows and they're taught that that's not why they work. They work because they change load. And that's um, what the said principle is just altering load. So you're deloading the injured structure until it can cope again. And then ideally you'd be able to reload it and get rid of the right. orthotic. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when you go barefoot, you're also changing load. <laughs> you're just doing it in a way that's way more intuitive for the body. Yeah. Um, so I think base assumption one is apply the set principle to whatever yeah. your, um, you know, primary modalities are. If your primary yeah. modalities are orthotics and built up footwear, apply the set principle. And, you know, when you come out the other end of that filter, you're going to see, well, maybe we're creating adaptations that we don't want long-term. Um, yeah. that are maybe unintended, but also make a whole lot of sense when you look at the body as an adaptive system that will change based on what you expose it to. Now, yes. obviously, how you get from point A to point Z matters. And I think that this is where and a lot of podiatrists say, well, I can't stop prescribing orthotics because that is my main uh, revenue generator. That's how I generate income to pay for my overhead. And I will be the first to say that every single model that you present in terms of healthcare needs to have a game theory that actually allows for health professionals to make enough money 
to earn a living. This is a mandatory thing. If you cannot provide a solution to that problem, you do not have a viable alternative that you should even be talking about because people can't work for free. You can't pay your bills in karma. Um, yeah. So, but I think there's just a shift and we can talk about a little bit about that at the end of this one, but we'll mainly yeah. save that for next episode where we can talk, you can share your experience of switching business models because it is, I think health is immensely profitable. Um, we just, most people just haven't figured out a way to tap into helping people feel better and making money from that. And it, it, it's way less stress on yourself because you're giving people back responsibility, but there's also, you know, this massive pool of resources that is currently being used for something like orthotics that can be used to improve people's lives so much more beyond just their feet, not to mention eliminate foot pain. Um, so I think there's a big opportunity there. Second, um, second base assumption. So we talked about said principle. I always take this base assumption with the body that it knows exactly how to function right if it's given the right inputs. And I think this is this weird thing where I, you know, in physio school, from what I heard about medical school, that assumption is not actually a core value of how we look at the body, right? We look at the body as this flawed thing yeah. that is going to break down and needs fixing. When in reality, it's like, it's, it's all, it's, you know, I like to separate user faults and equipment faults. Equipment fault is, there's a problem with the body. The body is faulty. Something went wrong. The user fault is the equipment works perfectly if you use it as it's intended. And the yeah. user fault means you're doing something wrong with it. And my perception is all problems with the body are user faults. We're not designed yeah. to be weak, um, you know, sh shitty creatures. We're designed to be extremely resilient and robust we just have to make sure we're doing the right stuff with it. So does that, does that resonate with you? It does. It's our default position to be functioning well. Yes. It's only that we've added stuff onto that default. So that means, so by saying that, it means if you take everything away, the body will find a, a position where it is comfortable and, and functioning well. Yes. Where when we add stuff to it, um, we take it further away from that default position of functioning properly. Is that yes. the type of thing you're saying? That's exactly and, the type of thing. And within that, you know, like you'll see some people can't have to have a wide leg of squat because like a popular one, I'm just using it as an example is because their, their hip sockets are, are in one person is, is made in a different way to the next person, you know? Um, and similarly, the foot has a million different variations, but, um, and, and sometimes the foot, will um, be a variation that doesn't match up really well with their knees or their hips, but the body has a way of functioning. If you just let it, if you just allow it to grow in that way and to, to yes. build up an ability to function that way, I always think, okay, if this person from, from when they were three and started walking or when they were one and started walking, had, had an, a mobile and active lifestyle where they didn't have anything imposed upon them, like sitting in chairs for all of their education or shitty shoes from when they're five, um, how would this person be functioning? They would be functioning perfectly well. They would have yes. found their way. And so that is the, I, I assume that's the base assumption that your body will find its way no matter what the different um, anatomical variations are. And, and that's to, not to say that there are some, that are that do need help. There's, there are those cases, but they're very few. Like exactly, one to very few. And, yeah. and I think you know, I, I really think that the outlier, the fringe cases, which are significantly out of the normal distribution, where people have a genetic deformity or they have some major problem um, that requires something like an orthotic to function like a human, those are a fraction of a fraction of one percent of the population, in my opinion, and yeah. they get 
brought into a microscope where people think everyone that has a problem thinks they're one of that fraction of a fraction of 1%. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the sad thing that I see is that people that simply haven't put in the work to restore natural function yeah. are told by a health professional that they are that fraction of a fraction of 1%, yeah. which yeah. is not, you know, the person flat who... Flat foot being the perfect example. Flat foot or, oh yeah, you have hip, just hip impingement or all this yeah. shit. It's like, yeah, you need to work on it. You, yeah. you need to actually work to fix it. And I think, um, you know, I always look at the body as this, you know, like I said, it's this self-organizing system that knows what to do if it's given the right input. If all you give to it is 10 inputs, it has, it has to pick from those 10 pieces of data as to what is the optimal uh, pattern to move in, right? What is the way that I should organize myself? So that's an example where you're simply not giving the body a big enough data set to choose the most optimal option from. Whereas if you give it 10,000 inputs, right, different positions, different shapes, different challenges, it has a broader array to pick from and it's probably gonna pick a significantly better option yeah. because it has more data to, to compute with. And so I think the people who are given small data sets are told, yeah, this is the best you got with the body you've got. But it's like, have you given your body enough nutrients to even know that that's the best option? And that's yeah. where, ground living, spending time on a beam, all these things that expose your body to massive amounts of input gives your brain a bigger array of options to choose from. And you're probably going to be able to choose a much better option. So yeah. I think there's sometimes there's these cop outs where it's like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, Oh, I have shallow sockets, so I can't yeah. squat. Really? How do you know that? Who told you that? And have you worked on it? Do you sit all day? Like there's so many variables under the hood and people just like these convenient, comfortable explanations where uh, I can't do this because my body is just designed that way. And yeah. they're told that so much by health professionals. And it's this really big frustration of mine because if a health professional doesn't know how to help that person work on it, then it's really easy to say, that's just how you are. That's what you're stuck yeah. with. And it's such yeah. bullshit because then the person literally internalizes that and, and throws in the towel. And yeah. it's like, there's a lot of work you can do. That person just didn't know how to help you do it. <laughs> and that's, um, and the analogy, well, that analogy across to, feet is that flat feet and like i hear it so often oh i need support i've got flat feet i've had flat feet my feet pronate well we hope that they do you know um, <laughs> but they um it's it's this label and then people believe that they have just given up you know even though they right. might still not be comfortable they're still not comfortable and um so natural podiatry is giving them these options and it's a big deal you know it's yes. it's not um it's it's not just saying it's 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 not just one way. It's like having all these different tools and, and getting people to live so their bodies can um, be expressing themselves the way they're meant to express themselves. Yeah. And so that's what I see natural podiatry being, um, getting people back to how their, their bodies are made to function, you know? Yep. In, in terms I of, but what's the base assumption there? So the base assumption is that we, um, that, do you want to say like, I just yeah, I mean, I, mean yeah. I look at the base assumption there as the body is a self-organizing and self-healing system. Yeah. So it knows yeah, how to, yeah. our innate intelligence knows how to bring us to an optimal state if yes. we are giving a, ourselves the right inputs. And that's the big, the right inputs is where natural podiatry should live, right? How do we make sure that this person knows how to give their body the right, how do we eliminate the shitty inputs yeah. that are restricting us? And how do we, provide this person with a new template for ideas of how they can give themselves better inputs. It's not saying you have to do exactly this. It's saying, here's 10 things. 
what of those things do you feel would fit well with your life to be able to experiment with and which things would you enjoy trying yeah. and just try that and play with it and then come back and see me in a couple of weeks. Let me know how you're going. And yeah. I really think that as a guide, you know, the beautiful thing about natural podiatry is that I think the foot stuff is not that hard to resolve. It's really, it's really a time and patience and just giving yeah. people the confidence that like you're doing the right thing. You just have to yes. be patient and continue doing it. But just like the Foot Nerd program really is a holistic health program that started with feet, I think natural podiatry has the potential to start with feet, get people on the right track, guide them towards the correct footwear choices and give them some suggestions of how to kind of work on restoring natural function. But then it's like, how do we work on you being able to feel confident in living a more natural lifestyle? Because that's really what it's about, right? Yeah. And I think there's so much, it's like, you know, once I got out of the mindset of physio and into the mindset of health, I opened up a door that had a massive like sphere where I was like, holy shit, I can help yeah. people a lot with very simple advice that a friend would give another friend, not necessarily requiring you to be a health professional. But yeah. it's, and, and I think it has this, that's where there's so much potential to guide people beyond the feet. Like a natural podiatrist could literally give you some education about how to improve your sleep hygiene. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, someone might come in and be like, yep, yeah, the foot's going well. I got this little thing happening. I'm not sure how to mobilize this. You show them that for 10 minutes. And it's like, okay, what else do you want to work on in your life? Um, because I have access to this big database of information. I can look at that and, and kind of share with you what we've been learning. I think that's a huge amount of potential because it's not a group. We're basically any health professional that's truly taking a broad look at health regardless of their specialization. The physio who's a health professional first and, a, and has a specialty in physio can take on some of the responsibility that is not being taken by doctors. Yeah. Like doctors aren't talking about mental health or sleep or food in the context of keeping it simple and helping people with behavior change. They're just saying, okay, you got this problem. This is yeah. what this weird word is called. Take this yeah. drug, come see me if there's problems. That's mm -hmm. a really shitty way to do health. And so yeah. there's like a big opportunity for any health professional, including natural podiatrists, uh, yeah. health professionals that are physios, chiros, whatever, to step into a role where you help people with their health, not just with one body part. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So those are some good base assumptions. You got the said principle, you got the fact that the body knows how to function right if we give it the right inputs. And the fact that, you know, we need to respect the fact that the body is a self-organizing and self-healing system, um, system of systems. And you don't actually have to know exactly how it all works. This is kind of something I've realized because I, I would go down these rabbit holes of trying to figure out all of the biomechanics and all, how all the variables interact. And it's like, this is impossible. You just yeah. have to accept there's some magic going on that you don't yeah. have to understand in order to help someone. Um, yeah. You just have to help them embrace the magic and make the magic yeah. go in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, complex, um, um, complex problems, simple solutions. Exactly. And yeah. when you add complexity to a complex dynamic system, you just make it more crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Next thing I'd like to talk about is some um, problems. So let's identify, you know, the primary problem. When someone's coming in to see you in your podiatry clinic, they have a problem that they would like your help to solve. And so what are the, um, you know, let's talk about some of the common problems. I think the biggest problem with feet is footwear-itis right? It's problems that are developing from footwear. And what would you lump under the banner of footwear-itis in terms of things that people come to see you for? So this dawned upon me maybe a year ago. I was just like, if I just had everyone in a shoe that was wide enough and flat and let their foot function, I just wouldn't have a job. 
<laughs> that's a great, that's a scary, but also a great realization. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then my goal is to get people in those shoes, you know, because right. if they go away happy, then that's what makes it that, you know, that's, um, I've done my job. If they're happy in terms of um, their foot health is good. Well, so, it's like, it's a, sorry to interrupt, but it's almost yeah. like every time someone puts on a shoe that you've recommended, you're treating yeah. their foot. Yeah. And so you're treating them 24 seven every time they're on their feet. And that's very, very powerful. Yeah. And I say that people, to people, um, you can do all the exercises I give you, but more importantly is changing your footwear because then every step is an exercise, you know, like yes. every step is making your foot stronger. Yep. Um, so, uh, so what is shoeitis? So shoeitis is like, it's all the regular podiatry that I do. Like that's the ingrown toenails. It's the corns. It's the calluses. It's the, um, it's bunions. No, I don't, um, do surgery on bunions, but I deal with the implications of bunions all the time. Yep. It's, um, it's your, uh, any, all your plantar issues and your heel, a lot of your heel pain issues that aren't systemic, um, because there's some that are uh, from a systemic background. It's um, your neuromas. It's your... Um, <laughs> There's so much. It's so crazy. It's, like, it's pretty much like everything we do. It's your lateral right. ankle sprains as well, I would say, because yep. when your foot's that far off the ground, you're more likely to roll your ankle. Achilles your, tendinopathy. Achilles, it's your t- tib post. It's your stress fractures, um, <laughs> you know, along with other factors, obviously. Right. But shoeitis is basic. Yeah, like if people are putting a modern shoe on their foot, it's, co- it's going to cause issues at some point in their lives. Like I think there's some stats, 75% of people have a shoe, a foot issue at some point in their life. That means 75% of people, well, you could probably say that 95% of people are wearing a shoe too. And yep. so most of, most of them are getting an issue because of their shoes at some point. Yeah, and that's, I, I really love, I've started to say this thing where people are like, oh, I got really bad foot problems. And I look at their shoes, I'm like, you might have foot problems right now, but you have a shoe problem, which is causing all of your foot problems. And so I think that verbiage, uh, I've seen the light bulb go off with some people that I've said that to. And they're like, I've never thought about it like that. And when you word it like that, you essentially put the spotlight on the footwear problem as the source of the foot problems. And so if you try and solve the foot problems without solving the, the footwear problem that's causing all of those, um, how can you expect to have long-term, long-term sustainable change? It just doesn't make sense. And we talked about that, how some, you know, you mentioned that some podiatrists are kind of saying, oh, I do some strengthening work uh, with the foot just to kind of check that box off and and claim that they're a holistic practitioner. But if they haven't addressed the footwear and they're still putting people in rigid um, supportive orthotics, everything you're doing is counterproductive. That 30 minutes of foot strengthening means zilch in the context of the 12 hours that person's spending in a shitty shoe causing more foot problems. Yes. And I think it's a miracle that they get better because um, there's so much going against that. And that's the miracle of the human body getting itself better. (laughs) Yeah. Just like bring that, bring that magic back on your side instead of fighting against it. And it really does show, you know, if you look at if a hundred people are wearing terrible footwear, uh, like conventional footwear, heavily padded, narrow, uh, rigid, and only 75 of those people develop some foot issue, which is kind of like the, the running stat right now. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that not a hundred of them develop foot issues. And I think if you actually take a, <laughs> if you expand the timeline to the whole life, I think a hundred percent of them develop foot issues. How could you not? It yeah. just doesn't make sense unless you're not wearing shoes for very often for a very big part of your day. So I really think it's like, it's the elephant in the room that no one seems to be zooming in on. And yeah. all you have to do is look at that with a, with a serious 
mindset of being like, that is the core problem. That is almost the core of natural podiatry is the, is a footwear focus. And, you know, I remember, uh, we had spoken when I was in Australia and, and I think you had almost like a hesitation to recommend footwear because you felt, um, sell it. I recommend it, but I wouldn't sell it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and I, and I completely understood that because I don't like selling things. Um, but if you believe in what that thing results in and, and on the flip side of that, if you believe that you recommending and selling footwear saves that person from going into a classic running store and being put into a piece of terrible footwear, yeah. then actually it makes a whole lot of sense. And guess what? Everyone wears shoes. So if we, you know, if someone buys a new pair of footwear every year and you are the podiatrist, you are the foot expert, why wouldn't your business model include getting some um, revenue from helping to sell footwear because retail companies make 50%, make up 50% margin on footwear. Why are they making all the money to put people in shit that's going to destroy their feet and make them come see you? You know? So I think like footwear recommendations and even making footwear available and having that as part of the business model for new podiatry, I think there's an, that's completely ethical. It's not a conflict of interest. I think it's, it would only be a conflict of interest if you're selling them shoes that are fucking up their feet. Sorry for swearing. And then making them come see you. That's a conflict. But if you're putting them in footwear that eliminates their problems, I think that's a complete alignment of interest. Yeah. And the opposite happens that people do, there are podiatrists that sell shoes that aren't minimalist shoes and, and they are causing, they will be causing problems. You know, right. like, so that's, that's happening on the, uh, on the other side. The, the issue is if we're identif- identifying problems with footwear is that it's such a, so there's so much, um, it, there's so much in a shoe for people's sense of self, for society. Like yep. there is, we, ha, we are so caught up on shoes and what they represent, um, whether it be a, a, an affluence or um, where we are in society or where, or a, a group that you belong to because of this, um, because of the footwear that you wear. And so that's a big part of the problem. And so natural podiatry is where you use education and to get someone over the line to changing that view. Because um, once they change the view and, ch- and, and they get the shoe and feel the difference and see the results, then, it's, like, then it's, e- it's easy. They've, they've discovered for themselves right. then. Um, and then you don't have to do the educating anymore. You've got them over the line. It's that, it's that um, breaking down of those societal expectation barriers as, an yep. educa- as someone who has to be an educa- educator first and foremost yep. to get them over the line to, get, <laughs> to buy a minimal shoe basically. Yeah, yeah and, and there needs to be, you know, obviously the natural footwear industry is still is very young. It's still yeah. growing, blossoming. So there, you know, there will be more options. There will be different price points. There will be different looks because you're right. I think the footwear, the clothing we wear is an expression of our personality. And footwear is no different. And if you've been, you know, if the common culture is such that you're being shown ads all the time from athletes wearing a certain kind of shoe, it's going to, there's a lot of money being invested to convince you to buy a certain kind of shoe, basically, you know, a shitload of a, of a footwear company's marketing budget goes towards convincing you that you need the latest technology in their latest shoe because X athlete is wearing it. And, you know, I think when, when you look at uh, people's decision-making tree, they almost make an internal pro and cons list. Okay, well, I'm being recommended this footwear. And the pros are that it, you know, if, it, if there's no pros under that heading, 
You know, if they don't know, it will restore natural uh, foot function. It will reduce my pain over time. It will strengthen my foot. It'll mobilize my foot. You know, if, if we educate and build up a massive list of pros, then the cons of they look different. It's different from what I'm usually used to. I might, you know, I, it makes me stand out because I'm wearing a different kind of footwear. The cons list is inconsequential if you have a massive list of pros. And so I think the education piece is, is creating um, a more balanced understanding of the cost benefit of wearing natural footwear. And I mean, the cool thing is companies like Vivo are making great looking footwear that also abides by the natural function. So it's making it easier to, to build that pro list because the cons are actually shrinking. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's still a hard, hard thing to do because everyone is still saying like the whole profession, whole of society is saying you need support. Like it's everywhere. I know. You know? Yeah. And, and so there's, there's, and you know, your kids need support and, and even as children, people are told, put your shoes on, you know, like it's just such an ingrained in society in Western culture to have your shoes on. And so um, that's what we're up. That's, that's the problem, I guess. That's, you know, shoes and the culture of shoes. Yep. But we can change culture. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, doctors used to smoke in front of their patients and recommend cigarettes like yeah. that shit happened. And it wasn't that long ago. And then now, now it would be insane to even now I hardly see people smoking. And when I do, I'm like, people still do that. That's crazy. And that that's a fairly short time span. And I think yeah. in the age of the internet with some people who just aren't afraid to just tear some shit down for the better yeah. cause of humanity, like we can, we can, sh we can shrink that time span of culture change um, to a very small window. And I think it just, you know, you got to lead by example. That's the biggest thing, right? Like walking around barefoot in places that most people wouldn't not even think of doing. Um, like in, like when I walk around barefoot in airports or outside where, you know, in, in the cold, in winter, in snow, it's like people look at that and are like, okay, that's, yeah. there's a new end to my continuum of what's possible. Yeah. I didn't even know we could do that. Yeah. And so you affect a lot of people. And if, if you... And if not only that, but if you actually have a rationale, if you have a professional uh, level of education on the function of feet, and when people yeah. actually, people might look, you know, a lot of times people look at me and they're like, there's just a hippie. And then I actually talk to them and they're like, wow, that guy actually understands feet. Yeah. Then, then they, you have their ears and that's how yes. culture changes. And the cool thing about culture change is that it's like, it's, it ripples extremely quickly if there's a strong purpose aligned with it and it actually makes sense. And yes. I think, um, you know, the way that you and me can maximize our impact on the world of health and foot health in particular is help create a better um, opportunity for professionals who are teaching the masses to learn a better way of doing things. And not only that, but actually like come together and align as a community and really enjoy the journey of getting better, right? Not yeah. just, oh, I think I should probably switch this. It's like, I'm stoked to talk yeah. to and go on a barefoot hike with five podiatrists that all think the same. And we're going to come up with innovative, creative shit because we feel safe and comfortable that we're surrounded by other people who think alike. And that's, there's a very mis mysterious power in that, um, that I've sort of seen through the Wunder program, but I, I think we can create with, um, this society of natural podiatrists. So, yeah, the power of community. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, dude. It's especially when you're engaging in something that you're sort of leaning into the unknown, that's where the power of community is in, especially uh, I think it's actually a crucial element because if you try and go solo and fight, yeah. if you try and swim upstream solo, uh, you kind of get burned out. Um, yeah. But if you have the energy of a bunch of people around you that are supporting you, it's way easier to swim upstream when people are kind of nudging you along and helping each other. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so we ID'd, uh, in terms of problem identification, we talked about footwear-itis, which is the chief one. I think another one is the disintegration of hips and feet. And I think yeah. there's a big opportunity for podiatrists to, you know, if you look at the foot as a system within a set of systems, and you have to treat the macro system in order to make true change in the micro system, I think there's a big potential to essentially resolve lower body problems, including low back pain, I would say, because you have to look at the hip. You have to help people restore their hip function. And, and you know, the cool thing is, even though what you're doing is in an effort to put yourself out of business, essentially, there is a lot of work to do for people. There's a lot of time that they're going to need guidance for. You know, restoring hip function after stiffening your hips very consistently for three decades, yes. they're going to need some help. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, how has your mindset changed with regards to the hip and feet? Well, um, it, I think I mentioned it before. In the past, we used to think that the foot was really controlling what was going on at the hip, but it's come, come full circle now, and I see that the hip is critical to the way the foot functions. Right. And, and, um, and you see it in anyone that sits, that, that, that sits along, uh, for a long period of time in their day in a normal seat, in a normal seated position, they have dysfunctional hips and therefore have dysfunctional feet. You know, right. they go they go hand in hand. In fact, it's hard to to um, have functional feet if your hips aren't functioning well. I think it's impossible, probably. I agree, and I think there's a. I think it's all bi-directional. The foot affects the hip. The hip affects the foot. Yeah. But I think the, in terms of, you know, you have to attack the problem from all fronts. And if the hip yeah. is a significant uh, has a significant effect on foot function, you cannot treat the foot independently of everything else upstream because you simply miss out on a massive part of the, of the puzzle to solve. Um, yeah. And that's where the lifestyle education, the you know, understanding how to mobilize your hips by changing how you, the shapes that you expose them to on a day-to-day -day basis, like there's a whole lot of education and guidance needed there for people because it is a drastic lifestyle change. Um, yes. And getting good at helping people reduce the barrier uh, of intimidation, right? When you tell people, okay, we got to get you spending less time in chairs. People are like, my life revolves around chairs, my friend, good luck. And so yeah. knowing how to start with little small chunks, like spend 10 minutes on the floor every day that yeah. you watch Netflix, start there and yeah. helping people build their confidence that they can progress that they can experiment with different ways of living at home where they're unsharing their life. Um, which is actually, you know, this whole health by subtraction thing is very potent, I think, um, in terms of making it easier, simpler, and funner. Because you're just playing with, how do I change my lifestyle? Instead of saying, oh, I need to do 30 minutes of exercise to, to loosen my hips up. It's like, let's just focus on not stiffening them up first, before we yeah. even talk about what to do to loosen them up. And we're constantly learning. Like that first um, workshop that I did with you, the seminar, there we are all doing these hip mobilizations, which are great. But hey, a couple of years later, we're sitting on the floor and it's happening right. without us even do, spending the 20 minutes on our hip mobilizations. Or I don't even you, recommend hip mobilizations anymore because no, the, the floor sitting is where it's at. That's right. Or I'd spend, if I spent an hour sitting, I'd spend three minutes, you know, working on my hip flexors. Now yep. I just don't spend the hour sitting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, and if you have to spend the hour sitting or... Like there are so many options now. There's no excuse, especially with so much um, home, work from home. Yep. Um, standing desks that are so accessible and so user-friendly. And, you know, there is no excuse to be sitting for a long period of time unless, you're tr unless it's those, um, you know, travelling. Um, you know, I still sit around the table with my family. But that's, that's a, 
because I live in a, a traditional house, like there is people that live on the ground with a table that's, you know, 30 centimetres from the, from the floor. Right. I, I do have some things where I still sit, but otherwise I'm looking for every opportunity to right. not sit, basically. And, and so it's not even hard to not sit. Exactly. And I think if you're doing everything else right, you've earned the right to sit in a chair. Like I always tell people often almost, yeah. you know, when I speak to them, they almost bad, develop this yeah. sense of guilt where they're like, yeah. oh my God, I sat for an hour. I'm like, yeah. that's okay. Like you didn't yeah. sit for 10. So just yeah. you earn the right to sit in a chair for a certain period of time. And it's yeah. all about balance, right? It's like, yeah. what are you, what is the majority of your time? What shape is, are you spending in for the majority of your time? Yeah. And if that shape is a variety of shapes because you're constantly moving, more than you are sitting in a fixed position, you're doing well. And it's not, you don't have to feel shame or guilt by sitting in a chair. You just have to make sure it's within a sense of balance, right? Um, there's, no, there's no bad position. Just if you spend, one, spend time in that one position for too long, yep. you know, that's not a great position. That, yep. that relates to everything. Yep, exactly. And tomorrow, I actually did a podcast two weeks ago with uh, Mike uh, where we we talked about posture. We basically unpacked and demystified posture because there's so much bullshit around that word, yeah. so much misunderstanding. And we basically said that like, there's no good or bad posture. The only bad posture is the one that you adopt for long periods of time and creates adaptations to reinforce that posture. So yeah. um, it, it all needs to be, you know, the nuance of it needs to be unpacked where people shouldn't be afraid of positions. They should just be afraid of staying in one position for huge periods of time. That is what causes the problems. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and you, so, so that problem being hip dysfunction, hips, we, should, we can't ignore hips and, yes. and podiatrists are uh, probably not looking into them enough. And that should be part of the manifesto where, you know, it's almost, um, you know, manifesto is sort of like the set of principles in, and I really liked, we switched over the footner program manifesto to like a personal statement where you're reading it from the first person. And yeah. it's like, if you get people to read that and just say like, do you identify with this? Does yeah. all this make sense with your identity or who you want to become or what you want to do in your line of work? Perfect. Then you are a perfect fit for this community. We might disagree on some shit. In fact, I hope we do so that we have diverse perspectives, but we agree on the 80% core important shit that is going to make sure that we align on this mission to improve this profession. And I think in that manifesto has to be, I treat the foot as a component of the system and I treat the system, not the, not the park. Um, yeah. you know, so stuff like that, I think it's, it's going to be fun to manifestos are always fun to carve out because it's like the, the seed that grows into this giant tree over time. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of play, uh, play badminton with you and figure out like, what is the best manifesto, um, yeah. to, to self-select for an amazing community of humans. Um, you come up with something that, um, sounds like it's perfect, but by the end it's been warped, morphed into these, you know, something that's far better. Exactly. Yeah. And even over time, like, you know, every three months or six months, people in the community are going to, you know, we'll have a Slack platform for the, for the upcoming community. And there'll be one channel where it's like manifesto edits and people can submit suggestions and it gets put through the filter of everyone going in there and beating it up and figuring out like, okay, does this come out on the other side of something valid enough to include in the manifesto? Because it's not, everything is dynamic, right? The only constant is change and, and you have to be open-minded, but also have a strong enough filter that you, you really put it through a strong filter before you put it into the manifesto. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is a powerful binding document to, to align everyone in knowing that everyone else that's in this community identifies with this. And this is the kind of community we, we, we might not be this right now, but we want to be that. And that's an yeah. important guiding set of values.
Um, okay, so we talked about identifying problems, which are mainly shoeitis and sittingitis, right? Foot yeah. dysfunction caused by shoes and uh, hip dysfunction caused by sitting in chairs. So let's present some uh, solutions now in terms uh, through the lens of uh, new podiatry or natural podiatry. Um, you know, I always like, you know, a term that is going through my head a lot more now is you fix the inputs, you fix your feet. So, and that really just means wear better footwear and actually use your feet, right? Like push your feet and challenge them regularly to bring them towards a more resilient, strong state. Um, yeah. So in terms of solutions, like how would you, let's talk a little bit about how you've changed your treatment approach and some of the ways that you are helping people with those problems. So people come in, uh, you know, with a corn or with a bunion um, yeah. or with flat feet. What are some of the ways that you're now shifting your practice in terms of how you help that person? So I think it's far more focused on educating them as to why it's happening. Um, and often that's because of shoes or because they're sitting a lot. And so I, the, if I have an hour long consultation, um, there's a big chunk of that educating them. Um, and, and we might not even get to too much treatment, except that we're they're straight away knowing that the shoe is probably the issue. Well, and, the education it, is the treatment, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and they know that from the outset, I explained that um, what the way I work is that I ed- will educate you to look after yourself and give you the tools to be able to um, go, go away from here, knowing how to look after your feet yourself. And That's from amazing. that you'll have healthy feet. Um, when it comes to say a corn, uh, I would have been saying that for 20 years, this is caused by your shoe. And so the issue with shoes is they um, will go and get a wide shoe and it will still be wide here, but it won't be wide here. And right. so you know, but I'm seeing, um, and people are very resistant to change, especially older people that are more likely to get corns. And so they're not going to change their shoes. They're still happy to come back every six or eight weeks and have their corn treated. But I'm not going to um, sugarcoat it or take responsibility for that corn when I've told them what is 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 causing the problem. And the corn is just an example. It's such a tiny example. It can be debilitating and painful, but it's so easily fixed. And Mm -hmm. but like, as in, in the rooms, it's so easily fixed. It takes us like two minutes to get rid of it. But if they actually just took on that um, changing footwear would get rid of this corn, then that, then they wouldn't have to come and see me. And that's where natural podiatry has to, has to come from, come to, but, but you know, you can, lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And yep. so still a lot of my work is repeat, repeating the message, repeating the message. And some people will never get it and other people get it. And they're the people you probably won't keep seeing. And that's fine because they'll go out and tell everyone else about how well you looked after their feet. Because yeah, they'll, te- they'll send all their friends and family to you. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, I think even people, and I used to have patients in the clinic uh, when I was treating in the physio clinic where they did everything uh, that you sort of recommended and they actually made themselves better, but they always came to you when they had a concern because they believed that you had their best interest in mind and that they would leave with an understanding of how they would implement a treatment that would sustainably resolve the problem because there's always going to be issues that come up. There's always going to be little things where people are like, I'm not sure about this. I'm going to go ask, you know, Andy and see what he thinks. And I think being a resource with an open door saying that if you have any issues, come in and see me. We'll just chat about it. Um, But, you know, and I think back to the thing with corns, it might be the sixth time someone comes in to get the same corn shaved off yeah. until they realize like, maybe I should just change my footwear. You know, like yeah. some people are very resistant, but 
people aren't stupid. And I think sometimes, you know, I've, <laughs> I remember I had a, a patient one time that had all these Achilles issues. Um, and he was always wearing dress shoes at work. He was like an accountant. So he had this heel of shoe. I'm like, dude, you can't live your entire day with a heel elevated shoe and then go play basketball and expect it not to hurt your Achilles when you're just jacking up your Achilles in this, in, in, in an over lengthened position that it's not used to. And I told him this forever, but he was never willing to change his shoes. And one day he came in, he's like, you know what? I think my shoes are affecting my, <laughs> my Achilles. And I was like, yeah, you know what? They might be. And I just like gave it to him because, yeah. you know, he didn't remember oh, that I was the one who told him that, but I also didn't want to steal it away from him. I wanted him to feel like he self-realized. And sometimes you just have to give it to people and know that some people are really stubborn and changing their beliefs. But if you come at it from the standpoint of just understanding and listening to them, people often eventually change and it might be really further <laughs> way beyond where you, where they should have changed. But what matters is that they change and that, and even if the person wants to constantly have their corns cut off, they're still going to come to you. And I don't think, you know, it's better them come to you and you be able to sneak in some education than them go to someone who's just doing technical work and just shaving it off and saying, yeah, come see me X in X amount of time. So there's a place for that too. Yeah. And um, I'm doing a fair bit of online work now and it's really fits well with this educational way and people still want a training program or exercise program and I provide it, but I, but it's still coming back to the core of making the big changes in terms of footwear and movement. And yep. um, then they'll, people say, Oh, when should I come back again? And um, I actually was speaking to James of TFC Australia and he, because I, I usually say, just use me as a resource. Like you're going to have little hurdles along the way and, and, and they're shocked. Oh, you don't need me to come back again. You know, like I'm like, well, you'll come back if you have a big problem or if in a month's time we really need to check in, we'll come back. Um, he said that it's sometimes nice because people like to be kept accountable. And so they yep. might like to know that there's an appointment in a month's time because then they'll be kept accountable for the changes that you've asked them to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, it can go either way, depending on your client, you have to, um, you know, pick your mark. Some people, are fine without you making that appointment. But yeah, randomly I'll have like three people every day. I'm um, just saying, hi oh, Andy, I'm finding this is the issue. Um, and uh, how do I help with this? Oh, did you do this? I just like, it's like 30 second jobs and I'm not getting paid for those things. But um, I think when you come back, when they come back for a bigger problem, then they, you might get paid for it and you might increase your, the cost of your initial consultation because you know, it's going to include all these little bits and pieces along the way. Yep. You don't need someone um, coming in three times a week for a, a mobilization of their sub Taylor joint when they can be doing <laughs> something quite similar themselves, like as many, many times a day, you know? So um, I, I think it's education and then giving them the confidence to change Yep. Um, and then being a resource for them. Like you said, a resource, that's really a powerful thing. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And you end up being just like a, it's all about trust, right? It's all, yeah. do they trust you as someone who has their best interest in mind um, and is willing to go outside of the typical box of podiatry to search for more effective ways of doing things. And like you said, it's all education, right? Education is the only sustainable way to help people because at the end of the day, you don't see them for that much time in terms of like how much, how many hours there are in a day and how many days there are in a week. So you should use that time to teach them how to take care of themselves the other times. And yes. this was like a very big gap in physio uh, school and even the business model of physio is all of your time is spent treating the problem. And so none of the time can be spent helping people get rid of the problem and prevent the problem. And yeah. this is how, you know, like it's all, like you're literally trying to put yourself out of business each time 
what people don't look at is they look at that in the short game and they're like, well, that's not good. I'm not telling people to come follow up. Well, how am I going to make my money? It's like that person is going to tell 50 other people to come see you. You know, like that person is going to always look at you as a resource. You have a lifetime relationship with that person as their resource and guide. And there's not going to be any shortage of problems. Like, let's be real. We do a lot of silly shit to our bodies and there's always going to be problems. But if you can give that person the ability to fix them with just a little bit of guidance, that's significantly more effective in the long run. And the person will feel that and they will feel this rapport that they build with you where instead of you just doing something to them, you're asking them questions, you're listening to them, you're inquiring. And I think there's like a really big gap in emotional intelligence and listening skills with health professionals because we're just overwhelmed with trying to deal with the shit instead of speaking to the person. Um, So, okay, I got three more points. I want to be respect. Are you good for another 20? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, magic. So I want to talk about resistance to change because this is something that uh, you see a lot. Like there is a lot of reluctance to adopt this mindset. I went to a, a foot biomechanics symposium Uh, I was walking around barefoot and all of the foot scientists that are the experts, quote unquote, on foot mechanics, were all wearing terrible footwear. And they all looked at me and they're like, where are your shoes? And I just said, I don't wear shoes indoors. And I paused and stared at them until they said something. And they're like, oh, okay. That makes makes sense because it was indoors. Um, But it just shows that like they had no template for seeing that you could go barefoot um, in places other than your own home. And I think the resistance to change, I think there's part of it where it's just a lack of understanding. I think that's the biggest thing. But then there's also the game theory, the the business model and and what is incentivized, right? What is making money? Because at the end of the day, like we said, if you don't, if you're not considering the financial aspect of a switch in business models, you're not giving a complete solution for people to actually realistically adopt. And so what, what, uh, resistance do you face? Like, for example, if you talk to an old style podiatrist um, about this, about natural podiatry, what is the chief resistance that always comes up when you have those conversations? Um, that, that footwear, like you said, what is, is a given that it's not a negotiable. It, footwear is not a negotiable. There are, as in modern footwear is not a negotiable. It's not, a, it's not a, even thought of that you should go barefoot and it's not even thought of that you'd wear a minimalist shoe. Like there is, there's just no room for that. It's just a given that you'll wear a modern shoe. Like I'm doing a, 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 um, a strength and conditioning, continued education here in Australia um, online at the moment. And they had a, it's a, there's a Facebook group that says, oh, which shoes do you run in? And so there's just like a list of all the shoes, all the like latest shoes. And it's just a given that that's, that they'll be running in one of those shoes, you know, like it's, <laughs> It's not, it's not even an option. And I put up on the table. No, it's not on the table. And then when I put my stuff up, the leader of the group said, there's always one. (laughs) There's always one. That's right. (laughs) That's classic. There's always always one in the group, you know, like I'm the black sheep. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's it's so far fetched. It's such a step away, but there are podiatrists out there that do it. Um, that do get, that do wear minimal shoes and that do um, see it as an option. And I hope that this group is going to bring this together and then make it okay for uh, like for others to think, oh, it's okay to do that, you know, like to right. make it an option, just to have it as an option. At the moment, it's not even on the table. Right. You know? So let's make a case that this is a, it's funny because the thing that's not even on the table is the most important thing. Yes. How weird is that? It's, it's just blows me away. Yeah. That's not even an option, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, 
you know, a lack of training, I think is the biggest thing, right? If you've been, for lack of a better word, indoctrinated into this set of thinking. And the problem yes. is the cognitive bias or the cognitive dissonance of I paid a shitload of money to learn yeah. this. Yeah. To, it's really, really hard to stomach the fact that that might not be the truth because that means I just paid a ton of money to be told a non-truth. And that's really hard to stomach. And so we oftentimes lean into digging our heels in and saying, that can't be true because they didn't talk about that in school. And I paid yeah. a lot of money to go to a reputable school, which taught me the right stuff. Yeah. So that's the disconnect. And so that's why it's not even on the table. And I think, I think big footwear has a big influence as well. I think like yeah. big footwear companies and the amount of marketing, like at the end yeah. of the day, it's really hard. You have to have a deep understanding and really feel a sense of intrinsic belief in what you're saying to want to essentially see a patient and spend time convincing them that what they've known their whole life is wrong. Yeah. Yes. And if you don't have the skill set or the training or the understanding, or more importantly, the personal experience to speak to that, yeah. then it's not worth doing. It's too scary, right? You feel ill-prepared. You feel like you're, you're not um, speaking the truth because you just don't know the truth. You don't know the depth of how deep that goes. And so I think it's lack of training. I think it's big footwear. And I also think the medical community feeds into a lot of it, right? If you go to a doctor with a foot problem and they say, yeah, you need orthotics, go to see the podiatrist. That is what that person expects to have. And so it's, it's very, there's so many layers, right? Well, it's not even just the medical medicos here in Australia. If you go and see a podiatrist, people think you are just going to come away with an orthotic. It's just a given that that's the way it is. So, right. that, that, and so when someone comes to see me and they don't get an orthotic they're and they're initially a bit shocked and surprised, mostly happily surprised. <laughs> right. But this is where that disconnect is. And why I always struggle to sell the shoe as well, because I don't want to be seen to selling something. And the message is even more powerful if I'm not selling the shoe. Do you know what I mean? Right. So um, yes, I have some vivos in the room there to explain, but I don't say, Oh, and I can provide you with the shoe. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I, um, I, it has to come, it has to be seen and it is coming from a place that I have their interests at heart, which I obviously do. And so that's why I always struggled with selling the shoe. But um and it was very convenient. I used to work in a practice that was 20 minutes from a very good minimal shoe store. And so it was very convenient to send them down there and had a great relationship with them. And it worked both ways because then they could send people to me that were having trouble with transitioning to minimal shoes or, yep. or whatever. Um, but now that I work further away, it, it's, it's even from that shop, it's even harder for someone to hear my message and then have to find the shoe themselves outside of what I can provide. Yeah, and so, see, the, the way I see selling footwear is, is kind of threefold. Number one, if you're ditching uh, orthotics as a revenue stream, you need yeah. a product-related avenue to make income. Yeah. This is just how you need to make a living. It's not yeah. being greedy and trying to make obscene amounts of money. It's I need to make income to pay the overhead for my practice and for my living. That's number one. Number two is you reduce friction right? Yeah. The extra step that someone has to take to travel somewhere else, the extra step someone has to take to find the footwear, because it's literally like finding a needle in the haystack still, that friction is sometimes where you lose people. They're like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll just go to the footwear yeah. shop. Like, yeah. um, and, and also the, uh, I think the third part of that is you have the ability to curate a very unique experience where the footwear purchasing experience is a foot health education experience that you yeah. just pick your clothing. Like it's yeah. literally the, the clothing doesn't matter. Just, yeah. I'm just trying to make sure you don't wear clothing that fucks your body up. Like that's yeah. really it. And I think 
when you look at it from that standpoint, it's almost a responsibility. <laughs> right, right, yeah. exactly. Because it's it, you're providing a uh, an end to end experience, a full service yeah. experience, where it's like when you come in, you under we talk about why a certain kind of footwear is important, and then we make sure that you have options available. These aren't the only options; you can explore other ones. But at least you know if if you had like a, a women's and men's casual, a women's and men's athletic, um, and that's all you had in a big enough size yeah. run. Um, that the footwear shops kept you stocked up with that would, and even the other thing too, that they could do is that footwear company could, it could be their inventory. That's simply just living in your clinic. Um, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's different, I think there's so many business models available, whether it's through affiliates or whether it's, um, like retailing a subset of footwear. I think there's a lot of opportunities for how that can be a, and even the equipment side, right? Like cork balls, toe spreaders, balance yeah. beams, making products like that available where you do make a small margin um, to be able to help pay for the overhead of your business. But I think if you believe in it, it's not a conflict. And if you believe that footwear is really important, it's actually part of the responsibility of a foot health expert to provide yeah. a low friction environment. Yeah, um, and, and it does um, help with that resistance to, re resistance to change because yep. – even in my, like I used to make my own orthotics. We had our own lab. It was all set up. And even in my busiest week, I might've made five pairs probably because it took me like four hours to make. And I only ever prescribed because I knew I had a lot. It was a lot of work, you know, um, yeah. but some podiatrists would be prescribing five, six a day. I would think this is wow. huge. In, this is huge income. And so um, there is the resistance to change. There, yep. That is where it comes from. And so someone who's making money like that, they don't even want to hear this they don't ever want to hear that this is an option because their whole life is stacked around that whether it be their mortgage their children's schooling and their overseas holidays this is um a standard that they have and so that's very hard to fulfill so i can i almost um i don't feel sorry for them they've built that but i can understand i totally understand why yep. that's a bridge too far you know I and agree. it's what they learned and it's what the, mo the majority are doing. So for some, for some upstart to come along and say, here's a different way, you're going to earn less money, and, but you've got your pay, you know, like, and people get good results. But maybe I just, I can't see that it's a, um, a good thing in the long run, you know, like people still get good results. And I don't think it's sustain. This is the thing. I don't think it's sustainable. So you either swallow the bullet now and, and yeah. live through short-term discomfort to be a pioneer in a field that will be the future Yes. Or you, you pull like a Kodak, right? Where you're stubborn and you say, not digital photography is not for us. Um, yeah. People are always going to want to develop their own films. And then a phone company puts a camera in their phone called Nokia. And then in yeah. two years, you're bankrupt and you're the biggest yeah. camera company. So it's, you either choose now to swallow, swallow the shit and, and transition and go through that challenge. Or you get your legs cut out from you and you don't even have it. And, and there's, that's it. People just stop coming to see you because the expectation is no longer that I get orthotics. It's that I get an education on foot health. And so, yeah. you know, you, it's, you can fight it for as long as you want. Um, but I really think that as the public becomes better informed and this information is getting out there and the truth is on our side, which is a very comforting thing. Um, yes. Then, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that this community of natural podiatrists will do a lot to take away the intimidation if you have 10 people that have all done this and have refined how they did it to reduce, to mitigate um, the financial burden of doing this yeah. transition and can all support each other and are making it more acceptable. And you have someone that's already, you know, it's kind of like you're taking a different path and there's thorn bushes everywhere. 
and you're going through there and getting smacked with thorns and you're chopping it up so that people can follow you, right? You're like you're the courageous leader that is essentially leaning into the shit without knowing what's going to happen, but knowing that you're following truth and then yeah. other people can kind of funnel in. And the more people that trod that path, the easier that path becomes yeah. to take. And that's very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, and so that but, resistance to change will, will get less and less as yeah. more and more people take on board. And that's the point of this community. I, I feel like that is why we're, uh, we're going to bring this community together so that we can, as a whole, make it a lot easier on anyone that wants to go down this path. Yep. I agree. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about the community and then we'll just plug the next episode, which will dive deep into the business model and just you sharing yeah. the transition you went through and then really kind of getting almost into the nitty gritty, the granular stuff on the business side, because I think that's, that's stuff I like to kind of understand because I think that that's a, a limiting element. If you can't make it a viable business model, you cannot, uh, expect people to want to transition and not just viable, but actually um, very successful, like very yeah. has the potential for income. Not that it so the way I look at it is you don't have the potential to get like insanely rich where you're buying yachts, but you have the potential to make the same amount of income after a period of transition with significantly lower burden on yourself and what and the work you need to do because it's really just education, right? If you have to spend half the amount of energy to make the same amount of income because the other half that you were spending is being given to the patient to put in um, so that they can take care of themselves. Like it's way more, ha it's way more enjoyable to not be destroyed at the end of the day because you're trying to see all these patients and just see less people help them more um, and see not more repeat customers, but see a broader array of new customers that are coming to see you because you're doing something different. Um, yeah. So even just talking about the community briefly, we'll talk about it more at the end, but um, the way I envision, I'd love to hear your thoughts about anything that you think um, we can put in there. And obviously this needs to be developed, but it'll basically be an annual membership. So you'll have an annual fee to help support the website, to help support the core team that are sort of building and designing this community with you at the helm. Um, there'll be a Slack platform because I think that's really valuable to let people discuss and connect with each other. Um, I think there should be a monthly podcast where you, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I get you set up uh, and give you all the info I have from having gone through different phases of finding audio equipment and the best way to host a podcast and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think it would be cool for you to do a monthly podcast with a practitioner and have a mm -hmm. template where it's like, okay, how has your transition been? How, you know, like, when did you hear about this? And just kind of asking them questions, but then also doing like a case review where it's like, okay, let's talk about a couple of challenging cases that you had um, yeah. that you didn't really have a template for how to go about treating this and just essentially allowing podiatrists to have a really cool podcast to listen to that has direct meaning and connection to, to the way they, they do their practice. And I think it'd be really cool. Um, mentorship is a big one. So I think if people came to you and wanted advice or help, being able to have an outlet where they pay you for your time to help them better understand this whole thing. Um, education is another big one. So having um, you know, articles and even like sections available to walk people through the process of transitioning to natural podiatry. And then the last one is business transition consulting, where you can help them understand, okay, well, here's a business model template, which you and me can kind of refine, you know, how, and then talk to them about how can you apply this with your life or your situation? I yeah. think that gives a really crisp package where it makes it less intimidating, right? The barrier to entry to learning about natural podiatry and implementing that and transitioning, knowing that other people have done it and you can hear about it. Um, I think it's very powerful. It is. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I, I um, hadn't envisaged it, envisaged it being that practical, but I really liked the idea. I felt like it was going to be like a just a safe a safe space for us to um, to support each other. But right. I think it's even it's it's far more powerful if we make that a practical um, solution as well. You know, so right. that you're uh, then building the community, not just having those that are um, that are already on board. You know, it's far right. it's far more powerful. Yeah, and even doing meetups, like a certain percentage of those community membership fees get put in a fund where it's like, yeah, twice a year, we do a big meetup. We do a big barefoot hike with like 20 podiatrists and we go out for a meal and it's all covered by, by the community because that's part of community, right? That is a yeah. significant element of being able to connect with other people in person and share ideas about whether it's podiatry or even just life as a whole. Um, you know, that barefoot hike that we went on when I was in Melbourne in, um, in January, like that was, that was so powerful. That was so much fun. And it was also very nourishing to hear, you know, from a, there was like anyone from like a podiatrist, physio, a farmer, and a sleep scientist. And we all had a great time. We all went for a hike in our bare feet. And it was like, it was magical. So facilitating things like that and allowing you to make a living by helping to facilitate those things. Like you did a great job with that one in Melbourne. So I'm really excited to see how your life changes in terms of your role, like potentially spending less time in clinic, but being able to make the same income by just coordinating this community. I think it's going to be really cool. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. So if anyone's interested, if anyone's listening to this and is interested, we created an email and we're going to send out a first, um, like you might not get a reply right away, but we're basically building up a list of people who are interested in this. And the email is futureofpodiatry at gmail.com. So just email that. We'll create a list and then we'll create a newsletter where we'll send out updates to people as the community sort of comes into, into life, right? Like we still have some design and conceptual work and uh, got to create a website, manifesto, all that kind of stuff. But anyone who's interested, um, futureofpodiatry at gmail.com, email that. We'll get you on, on sort of the, uh, the spreadsheet of people interested and we'll keep you up to date. And the next episode, we'll talk about uh, business model. So like I said, just you sharing how the transition went, the struggles, the, the good things that came of it. Um, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm still in it. So I'm living it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, anything, anything to say in closing before we sort of wrap this up? Uh, no, that, that pretty much covers it, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I think we went through a lot of stuff. I think this will be a, you know, I'm going to put this on the, um, I'll put this on the TFC YouTube and then it'll probably get uploaded um, to the audio project, like iTunes podcast in probably like three weeks or so. But yeah. maybe what we can do is even the people who have emailed that email so far, we can probably even just send out the link to this podcast to them because it oh, might get them, give them a yeah. bit more uh, in-depth understanding of what the plan yeah. is. Yeah. So... Um, because it's a huge unknown for so many people. And, yeah. You know, like, like I said, I'm still just in the middle of it and it's just still growing for me. So yeah, to have some confidence that it's going to be okay, you know? Right. And that's the beauty. It's like, we're not pretending like we have the solution. We've just spent more time trying to figure out and experiment with the solution. But at the end of the day, we're all learning together what the best way to do things is. And yeah. I think that that collaborative, um, open-mindedness is a very different paradigm than we know and you have to pay to know because we have the secrets like we don't have the secrets yeah, yeah, we're just yeah. trying to figure shit out like we all are on team health um yeah. and when we're all on the same team we can all contribute ideas and the more diverse the ideas the better they're going to end up being um so andy thank you for taking the time i appreciate it i'm really excited for the future 
Uh, we'll probably do our next episode in about a month and then you and me can go back and forth on, uh, on Slack with refining and sharpening that, um, that manifesto and what the website will look like. And, Is that the best yeah. way by Slack to send you messages on that? Uh, probably because I go on there for the Footner program at least a couple times a week. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll just, we'll just do that and then eventually we'll create a new Slack for the upcoming community and then we can chat on there in, instead. I mean, the goal is to as least platforms as possible, but I think Slack will be a big part of the upcoming community. A big part of the value of what people get by, you know, paying to become a member um, yeah. is access to a platform where they can reach podiatrists from all over the world. That's a really cool thing, right? Like I've gotten emails from podiatrists in, in France. Um, there was one somewhere else in Europe, in the States, in Australia. So everyone sort of, if you're putting out a signal, everyone comes out of the woodwork from all different places and all different yeah um realms of podiatry and it's it's gonna be pretty cool yeah <laughs> yeah no worries have a wonderful evening andy everyone who's listening we hope you enjoyed that um this is gonna be posted on youtube so if you have any questions you can either email the future of podiatry at gmail.com or you can just comment on youtube and we'll check those out so thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you next time see you later